In a matter of hours, she would be in London. The ornate station clock declared that it was a quarter past eight when the train finally left the mouth of the station and moved slowly out into the countryside. Josephine settled back into her seat and allowed the gentle thrum of the wheels to soothe away any lingering frustrations of the morning. Removing her gloves and taking out a handkerchief, she cleared a small porthole in the misted window and watched as the strengthening light took some of the tiredness from the cold March day. On the whole, winter had been kind. There had, thank God, been no repeat of the snow wreaths and roaring winds which had brought the Highland Railway to a sudden standstill the year before, leaving her and many others stranded in waiting rooms overnight. Engines with snow ploughs attached had been sent to force a passage through, and she would never forget the sight of them, charging the drifts at full speed, shooting huge blocks of snow forty feet into the air. Shivering at the memory of it, she unfolded her newspaper and turned to the review pages, where she was surprised to find that the Crime Book Society's selection was a hair-raising yarn called Mr. Munt Carries On. They couldn't have read the book, she thought, since she had tried it herself and considered Mr. Munt to have carried on for far too long to be worth seven and six of anybody's money. When she arrived at the theatre section, which she had purposely saved until last, she smiled to herself at the news that Richard of Bordeaux, her own play, and now London's longest run, was about to enter its final week. As the train moved south, effortlessly eating into four hundred miles or so of open fields and closed communities, she noticed that spring had come early to England as quick to grace the gentle countryside as it had been to enhance the drama of the hills against a highland sky. There was something very precious about the way that rail travel allowed you to see the landscape, she thought. It had an expansiveness about it that the close confinement of a motor-car simply could not match, and she had loved it since, as a young woman, she had spent her holidays travelling every inch of the single-track line that shadowed the turf from Inverness to Tain. Even now, more than twenty years later, she could never leave Scotland by train without remembering the summer of her seventeenth birthday, when she and her lover, in defiance of the terrible weather, had explored the highlands by rail, taking a different route from Daviot Station every morning. When war broke out, a year later almost to the day, the world changed forever, but, for her at least, That particular bond to a different age had stayed the same, and perhaps always would. This link with the past was becoming harder to hold on to, though, as she found herself unexpectedly in the public eye. She had had thirteen months and four hundred and sixty performances to get used to being the author of the most popular play in London, but fame still tasted strange to her. Richard of Bordeaux had brought success— but success brought a relinquishing of privacy, which, though necessary, was not easily or willingly given. Every time she journeyed south, she felt torn between the celebrity that awaited her in London and the ties which kept her in Inverness, and knew she was not truly comfortable with either. But during the miles in between, for a few precious hours, she could still remember how it had felt to be seventeen, and sure of what you wanted. Today, though, anonymity vanished even earlier than expected, when a pleasant-looking young woman boarded the train at Berwick-upon-Tweed and slid back the door to Josephine's carriage. She struggled apologetically with her luggage 
but a gentleman quickly stood to help her wrestle a large, beautifully embroidered travelling bag into the overhead luggage rack, and she smiled gratefully at him when he offered up his window seat. As the girl settled herself in, Josephine gazed at her in fascination. But it was not so much her features that drew attention as the remarkable hat that framed them. A cloche made of fine black straw, which was accentuated on one side by a curled white ostrich feather, flecked with beige and brown, and attached by a long black-tipped hat pin. It was hardly the sort of thing that Josephine would ever wear herself, and it made her own plain velvet seem bland in comparison. But she admired its delicate beauty nonetheless. The young woman nodded brightly at her, and Josephine returned to her paper, but as she scanned the racing pages, she was uncomfortably conscious of being watched.